Welcome once again to the Family Stories Podcast, where the stories are always told by those who actually live. Hello, I'm Grandpa Jimmy, your host from Colorado Springs. I just want to thank you again for listening, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. My last podcast, for those of you who might have heard it, I had a man on there, a financial planner by the name of Scott Case. He had six kids. And he told me something very interesting. He said, Jim, I always answer three questions when people ask how many kids I have. I tell them I'm not Mormon, I'm not Catholic, and as far as I know, my wife and I are not crazy. Today, my guest has 11 children, but I think they've stopped counting. And while he's been raising that family along with his lovely wife, Sandy, he's been building a huge nonprofit organization called Christ in Action. I just want to welcome you, Denny, to our podcast. Thanks for coming. Well, Grandpa Jimmy, it's good to be here and to be on the podcast with you today. Well, I'm glad to have you here. And before we get into anything else, we got to talk about your family and your 11 kids. And uh, I know it is unbelievable for a lot of people to think that someone could raise 11 kids in our world today. But actually, it's a blessing, isn't it, brother? Yeah, it is. And the it's unique that we have 11 kids. And it's even more unique that 10 of those are girls. We had uh, eight, bo- eight girls, then we had our son, and then we had two more girls. And I tell people, I'm the mayor of Estrogenville with all the girls. <laughs> so uh, how many weddings in that group so far? Well, so far, I have seven of the girls that are married, and my son is getting married in August of this year. So then that'll be eight. We got three more to get married. Now, what about grandkids? Any of those yet? Yeah, I, I have a couple of those. Four four out of the seven that are married have given birth. We have 12 grandchildren, and number 13 is coming about mid-August. My goodness. You know, we have... Uh, Six grandkids, and there are no more coming, as far as I know. And you're barely yeah. getting started. Yeah, we have we have twelve of them, six years old and under. So they're all young. And uh, my kids live in uh, San Diego, Mobile, Alabama, uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and then one of them lives in by Fayetteville, North Carolina. One lives in Falkirk, Scotland, and the others live in the Northern Virginia area where my wife and I live. Well, then you're you're never worried about where you're going to go on a vacation, right? It's always going to be with one of your kids. Well, I told him, I said, my retirement plan will be that I will spend a month with each one of them, and then the 12th month, we'll recover, and then we'll start it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I think it's wonderful. You know, one of the big questions that people are going to ask, how in the world can you afford to raise 11 kids? Well, that's that's the... That's one of the questions I get. I get the same question that your other friend does. I tell them I'm not Mormon, I'm not Catholic, and uh, they are all mine. That was a big question. People say, are they all yours? Because there's so many blended families where they're his, hers, and ours. And these are all ours. We've been married for 38 years. My wife got pregnant 11 times, and she gave 11 healthy births, And which that's even rare. There's so many people, Jimmy that deal with uh, miscarriage. And some of my daughters have had miscarriages, which is such a heartbreaking thing for, for women today. 
But we were just really blessed with uh, 11, 11 healthy births. And we, we, we did home birth. We, we birthed them all at home. I, was, I, I delivered 10 out of the 11. Um, did you fourth, really? I didn't know you yeah. did that, Danny. I didn't know you delivered your own children. My goodness. Yeah, we. My wife for twenty two <laughs> years never saw a doctor or a midwife. We're not anti medical. We're just pro Jesus. We, you know, my wife said when we got married to you, listen, being pregnant is not a disease. The Bible says this baby is fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb, so we're going to trust him. And she said I didn't need a a doctor to conceive the baby, so we won't need one to deliver it. And I thought, eh. Okay, let's try it, and 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 it, it worked. Except one of them, she delivered by herself. I, I got home about an hour after the baby was born. Oh my good! I can't even yeah. imagine a woman delivering a baby all by herself. I, yeah, you, you know we think like that in our world today, but for thousands of years, people That's had babies. <laughs> they did. You know, it was during the Second World War, Jimmy, that they started to go to the hospital to have babies. Uh, before that, everybody came to the house to have babies. The doctor came to the home. But because of the shortage of the doctors in the war, it was way more convenient for the people to go to the doctor so he could do multiple births. And 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 I understand the, the people that go to the hospital and because they need uh, medical attention. Sometimes there's complications and it's hard for the baby. And I'm, I'm not opposed to that. Um, all of my kids have, almost all my kids have, Babies have gone to the hospital to have their babies. And, you know, the, the, the important thing in the end is that you have a healthy baby. That's exactly right. And we've been blessed, too. We've only had two kids, but they were both healthy. We're so thankful that that went well, and I'm, and I'm happy for you. So what's the youngest and what's the oldest of your um, children? The, yes, the youngest, uh, she just turned 18, and uh, the oldest one is 37. Okay, so and, uh, are they involved with you in your ministry? Um, they all are, almost all of them are at one level or another. All of them have a healthy, solid relationship with God. And uh, we have some that are working full-time with our ministry, and others work uh, ancillary. They do things from home or uh, if we have a, a pressing need, they'll come and they'll assist our staff or something like that. Or when we deploy, some of my son-in-laws like to come and help us deploy and and do disaster relief and well, so let, at, at different levels. Let's talk about that uh, for just a minute. Your ministry that you started many years ago, I think at about 1998, if I am thinking correctly, in terms no, of the was, disaster relief part of it. Yeah. Yeah, we started Christ in Action January 2nd of 1982, and um, I spent 27 years uh, on the streets, working with people on the streets of all 50 states and 18 countries around the world. And in 1998, we began doing uh, disaster relief work, and that's, that's our focus for the last 20-some years, is reaching out to individuals and communities and cities during catastrophic events. Well, you know, I see your slogan here is bringing hope to American families. Um, yes. How how are you different than anybody else? I mean, like the Red Cross. I mean, can yeah. how would you be different from somebody like that? Well, because uh, wherever we, every home that we go to work in, uh, first of all, we always partner with a local church, and that's where our people sleep. They sleep in the church and Sunday school rooms and so forth. 
And then we bring portable showers, we bring a portable kitchen, and we feed everybody, and we put them to work. And we'll go into somebody's home that had water in it, and we'll carry out their furniture, we'll pull their flooring out, we'll pull their cabinets out, pull some of the sheetrock to dry the insulation and stuff. And while we're doing that, somebody is there to minister to the family that has lost everything in their home. We're, we're there to reach that family with the hope of salvation, with the hope of the gospel. We want to, we want to speak into their life and into their children's lives. And we always have certified marriage specialists with us because a lot of marriages break down during catastrophic events like that. And so that's why we're there. Uh, a lot of organizations are just humanitarian organizations, just want to help people with a physical gut their house, take the trees off their property, whatever it takes. We do all that for the purpose of reaching them with the hope of the gospel. We don't go in there and preach to them. We go in there and we just, we love on them and we sit down and all you got to say is, where were you when the storm hit? And let them tell their story because everybody's story is so unique. It's so different. And you listen to their story and you listen to them talk and then you just, you share hope with them. You let them know that, that God loves them, that God hasn't forsaken them, that he's got his eye on them, that his hand is upon them, and they can help. One, one time we were at the wildfires in 2007 in, uh, just outside of San Diego, and my son Amos was about, uh, what was he? He was about 10 years old, and we were at the home of this lady. Her husband was wheelchair bound, and the fires just burnt everything. And we had these screens that we would sift through the ashes to try to find valuables or things that were left over. And my 10-year-old son sat on a, on a curb with a lady and was helping her go through her dishes that uh, some of them had cracked from the heat and they were trying to salvage them. And they had a pile of stuff there. And she said, you know, I need to take that and just throw that in the dumpster, but I just can't bring myself to do it. And my son, Amos, a 10-year-old boy, looked at her and said, Ma'am, I will carry that over and put it in the dumpster for you if you would like me to. You know what? She just kind of broke down and cried, and he put his arms around her, and I stood off to the side and just left him go. And He, he, he said, I, I know that God loves you. you you're going to make it through this. And he picked up her pile of broken dishes and he threw them in the dumpster came over and she talked to me and she goes you know what i've never felt the love of god like i did when your son put his arms around me and loved me and it, yeah. it's all about loving people it's not about going in there and trying to convince them of anything but you're going in no. there and just ministering the love of god and you're not doing it just with words you're doing it with deeds Absolutely. And, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And there's sometimes God just says, he's like, it's like he puts on a heart to shut up and love these people. And then we, we have volunteers that come from all across America and they bring people with them. I can't tell you how many times we've had volunteers come to help that aren't Christians and they, but they want to help and they want to be a part of helping and they work alongside of all of our Christian laborers, and eventually they're like, you know what? I want what you people have. I want that. And that's what Romans 11, 11, it says, God sent salvation to the Gentiles 
to make the Jews jealous. And I, I liken that to when we feed our, our little kids and we want to give them that, that sloppy baby food. And we're like, you know, wanting to feed it to them. They don't want it. They're like, mm-mm, mm-mm, I don't want that. And you're like, well, daddy will eat it. And then all of a sudden they, they want it because they're jealous. They're like, no, no, daddy can't have it. I want it. And that's the same thing with our lives as Christians. God wants us to live our lives so that people look at us and say, you know what? I want me some of that. Whatever you got, I want it. Man, and that, the, that is absolutely the truth. They, uh, they have to want what you've got, and, and sometimes religion uh, steals that. Uh, absolutely. The biggest reason people want to become Christians is because they see a real Christian. And the biggest reason people don't want to become Christians is because they see a phony Christian. Or isn't that absolutely the truth? It is. Let and me, I just pray, me, God, help me to be the one that they want. Let me ask you this. How, how much of a paid staff do you have to have to make all this happen? We have a zero paid staff. My wife and I founded the organization, and we don't get paid. We have seven families that work full-time they don't get paid. We have 20-some part-time people that don't get paid. Everybody raises their own monthly support as if they were missionaries to America. So would it, and, be, would it be fair to say that 100% of the money that's given to uh, your ministry, Christ in Action, goes right to the need? Absolutely. It goes to boots on the ground. It goes to uh, maintaining the equipment. We have millions of dollars worth of equipment to take into cities, trucks and excavators and track loaders and skid steers and chainsaws. And uh, we have portable toilets and uh, portable shower units and cooking units that we, that we take into cities to help clean up after disasters. And uh, all, that's that's where the money goes. It goes to that and to feeding uh, on 9-11. We were the ones that set up on the Pentagon parking lot following when the terrorists flew into the buildings. We we fed over 55,000 meals to the recovery workers. And we oh, went to ground goodness. zero in New York City, and we fed another 52,000 meals to the recovery workers that were working in New York City. My we goodness. did it for free. We don't get paid, and we don't get any government funding. I'll tell you what, that is that is absolutely amazing. I was just looking on your website at some of the commendations that have come to the ministry. I mean, from uh, President uh, George Bush on down, all kinds of centers and congressmen yes. and cities and counties and government uh, organizations that have uh, just thank you guys so much for what you do. And Christ in action is the real deal, boots on the ground, helping people, blessing people. And doing it from a message of love of God. And, you know, Jim, this all started with my kids, my oldest daughter, Rachel, and Bethany, Melody, and Deborah, uh, doing the cooking. When we were set up on the parking lot at the Pentagon, after a few days, the security uh, people from the military said, okay, nobody under age 18 will be allowed on the property. And I said, well, then... You're not going to get breakfast. And we were making 5,000 breakfasts by 7 o'clock every morning. And I said, well, then you're not going to get breakfast. And they said, why? I said, because my 17-year-old and my 15-year-old daughter run the breakfast crew. <laughs> I, bet, said, I bet they changed real fast, didn't they? They said, they said we will get special ID for that. <laughs> but my kids are the ones that, that started this. They started doing the cooking. They started helping people. 
they were they were the 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 power behind this. When we went to the uh, largest recorded tornado in the history of the world in Moore, Oklahoma, in 1999, my family was the ones that went out. They gave us a field to set up in, and we went out. And we were the ones that picked up all the debris and cleaned the, the one-acre field of debris so we could set up. And it, it was the family that did that. Didn't and that our happen? family learned, you know, back uh, where I grew up in southeastern Pennsylvania and the Pennsylvania Dutch and the Amish country, all the Amish and the Mennonites and everybody, that they had a farm. And all the kids, they had lots of kids, but they all worked the family farm. And I told my wife, I said, our family farm is called Christ in Action. <laughs> I love and it. We, we're going to be about planting seeds for the kingdom of God. And we've trained our kids up. Every one of our kids serves God. I got seven son-in-laws that love Jesus. And, and, and it, it's just we work together to help people. Let, let me ask you a question about the people that you've served out there, all these disasters, whether it's fires or floods or earthquakes or tornadoes or whatever it might be. Yeah. What have you learned from the people you've helped? Just about everything. <laughs> <laughs> Just about everything. Uh, I think one of the biggest things is that if I really want to help somebody, I've got to put myself aside. To really, to really make an honest impact. Everybody wants to help somebody, but they don't want to inconvenience themselves. Everybody wants to see lives changed, but they're not willing to change their life in order to see somebody else's life changed. And I've just realized that to really make an impact on someone else's life, you need to change your life. You need to be inconvenienced. You need to be willing to step out uh, and walk out on a limb. Get out on a limb because. You know, fruit grows on the end of the branches. Tree huggers don't bear fruit. And uh, you got to get out there and, and just deny yourself and let God use you. And, and I think that's what I've learned because and people are so grateful. They don't even know what they need. Sometimes you got to tell them what they need, especially when it's a, a disaster like that. Many people have been around someone who's lost something, or they're in a community where people, a great number of people have lost everything. If you were just telling a novice, somebody like me, for example, or, or another friend, that uh, here's these people that have lost everything, how can they, they don't have experience. They haven't been out there like you've been out there. What do they say? What do they do? How, how do they communicate to someone who's just lost everything? Well, mostly, don't say anything. I mean, really, a lot of well, and that's the biggest fear of people. They're they're like it's like people don't want to go to a funeral because they don't know what to say. They feel awkward, and the thing is, you don't really need to say anything. We call it the ministry of presence. People don't remember what you said at the funeral, but they remember that you were there for them. And if you're and if you now if you say something stupid, yeah, they'll remember what you said. But if you just say, I'm so sorry for your loss and and hang out. If you see somebody that's lost everything, just go up and just say, man, I am so sorry that you have to go through this. Can I help you? Don't say, hey, call me if you need me. They won't call you. Oh, and the one thing I've always heard is you never say, I know how you feel. (laughs) Yes. And you don't you never say, I understand. You say, that's understandable. Don't say you understand. Even if you lost everything you own, 
you do, you're not in their position. You don't have the same kids. You don't have the same background, you know, and just say, that's understandable. And, and I usually say, man, I can't imagine what you've gone through because I've, I've, I've torn hundreds of homes down that have, that have been destroyed. I've, I've carried thousands of pounds of people's goods and precious things out of their house to a dumpster. And I still can't imagine how that must feel to lose all of that. I know it's, it's gotta be awful. And I would be in that same position. I would be one of those people who don't know what to say. So I'm just learning from you. Be there. You don't have to say anything. That's just it. Be there and well, let them some know people, you care. Some people go by the three H's, hug them, hang out and hush up. There, I love that. That's great. I love that. <laughs> and just love on them and, and, and hang out, you know, and don't say, call me if you need me. Just say, I'm here. What, what, what do you want me to do? And a lot of times they don't know what to do and we'll guide them. We'll say, well, what we need to do first is we, we need to get your furniture out. Your furniture's wet. Let's pull up your carpet and your flooring and let's see, let's see what you got here. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And then while, while our team's carrying stuff out, I'll walk through the house and I'll say, you know what? I think you can save this, or I think this is salvageable and you can do that and just give them, you know, it's like telling them, put your right foot out. Now put your left foot forward. Now put your right foot and get them walking again, get them going, making decisions for their life again. And pretty soon they start being in cognitive control and, you know, and, then they find out how much you care, and then they they just they can't get enough of you. They love you. Um, and here's here's a question for you. Obviously, you're not doing this with a dozen staff members. When you go into a disaster area, how, you know you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of homes and things that are destroyed. Where are you getting all these people? We have a database of people that have gone to our website, and we have about ten thousand people on a database. That when we deploy, we send out an email. And out of that 10,000 people, you know, those people that can respond right away, they'll come right away. Some people say, hey, I, I can be there in a week or I can be there in two weeks or we can have a team there in three weeks. Because we're usually on a site for six to eight weeks. And they start coming and then people are like, hey, I got to go home. I can only stay five days. So they go home and somebody else comes. And God just provides that because people go – on our website and they sign up as a volunteer so that they get our emails so that they find out when we're deploying. And so you have a way of organizing them. Obviously you've done this for years when they come in, putting them to work, getting things uh, in, in order. Absolutely. All they got to do is get there and then we house them and feed them for free. We bring all the tools, all the equipment, everything they need. We just tell them bring work boots and when they say they want to come, we send them an email that has a list of, hey, this is some of the stuff that you need to pack, you know, like you don't wear flip flops, you wear closed toed shoes and long pants for protection, you know, just some of that common sense stuff. But um, if it's all right, I'll give out my website. Oh, go ahead. Do it right now. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. It's uh, it's Christinaction.com. Just go to Christinaction.com and check, click on the volunteer link. And it'll just ask you some questions about you, who you are and stuff, and if you have any skills. And you fill that out. And then when we when we deploy, you'll get an email telling us that you're, we're deploying. And if you can come, here's how you here's how the how we operate. 
here's where you go, here's what you do. And I'm sure you wouldn't turn away any financial responses either. Um, no, I haven't yet in 38 years, so I don't plan to start either. <laughs> you know, there's one story. This just came out of the blue. There's one story you told me years ago, and it was hilarious. And, and in no way am I trying to disparage FEMA or anything like that. But you told me a story about porta potties. Uh, that, that oh was my a, goodness! You remember that story? I do. You quickly you got to tell that story about what happened and how you guys worked to solve us we were set up in gulfport mississippi we were the first people set up we were set up 30 hours after hurricane katrina went through you couldn't get into new orleans so we went to uh gulfport mississippi and within about 45 hours of the storm making landfall we were serving we were cooking and serving thirteen thousand meals a day and our people were sleeping in a church that had no power, no running water, no air conditioning, no heat, no light, no air conditioning, nothing. We, it was pretty miserable conditions. We couldn't, we didn't have any bathrooms. I went to the uh, emergency operations center. Now we were feeding hundreds of people every day from the emergency operations center. So we're feeding these people. Uh-huh. And I told the uh, director of emergency there, I said, we need some porta potties. Uh, there were, were, were feeding people. And he said, well, you're a Christian nonprofit organization. We can't give you porta potties. And I said, what? He said, we can't give you porta potties because that would be supporting a religious organization. I said, you don't care about eating our religious food. You don't care about having our religious water to drink. So why can't we get rid of our religious Crap. <laughs> and he said, well, you can't do it. We can't do it. So I went back to our people and we had the first church service in Gulfport, Mississippi. After the hurricane, we had churches from every denomination. We had an ecumenical service. Everybody was there and I preached the gospel to them. And we had every news media outlet known the man that was there filming this. And we we're on television around the world. And at the end, I dismissed the church. And we had about 450 volunteers that were there. And I said, I need my volunteers to stay. I have some important news that I want to share with you. Hoping that the media would stick around, which they did because they wanted to hear the important news. They filmed me. And I said, I told them about my encounter at the emergency operations center. I said, they will not give us porta potties because we're a Christian organization and they can't be seen helping a Christian organization, although they eat hundreds of meals a day from here. I said, and we are living in unsanitary conditions and this will be our last day of service to the city. We can't go on cooking 13,000 meals a day because they won't give us porta potties. We have no way of getting porta potties. Well, the news media just burnt rubber running down to the emergency operations center. They cornered this, this, uh, the director of emergencies and they showed him the video. They said, does this guy get porta potties or do we put this on the five o'clock news? <laughs> so in short, what happened? Well, within two hours, I got a phone call on my cell phone. They said, Hey, we got 30 porta potties. Where do you want them? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So we got our porta potties. Hallelujah. Well, I'm glad for that. 
I'll tell you, it's been wonderful having you on the show here today. And I, well, hope, thank you. I hope you'll do this again with us, Denny. Uh, what, what a blessing to have you here. And I hope people will contact you to be a volunteer Absolutely. to help you with what you're doing. And, and anybody who, who wants to contribute uh, to uh, Christ in Action, what a blessing that would be. It takes a lot of money to feed 15,000 mules. Yes, it does. <laughs> at a crack. Yes, it and I, does. I know you've got big equipment, big diesel trucks. You pull all kinds of things from bathrooms to kitchens around with you. And yes, sir. None of that is free. And your no. entire staff raises their own money. There's not an organization that I have ever known of that virtually 100% of what comes in goes right to the needs. That's just almost unheard of. And so what a blessing that is. Well, thank you. We're, we're privileged to serve America, and we're privileged to serve the kingdom of God. Well, it's been blessing a blessing to talk to you, and I just want to tell everybody out there, thank you for taking the time to listen to this today. I believe that you've been blessed, and maybe you've learned something about helping people that you didn't know before. And remember this, you too might have a story, and it may be better than you think, and your story may change somebody's life. Denny's stories today are changing lives. So if you have a story you'd like to tell, get a hold of me at mygrandpajimmy.com or mygrandpajimmy at gmail.com. I would love to hear it, and we would love to tell the world your story, and you can help somebody else. Thank you for listening today.